My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Hugh Lampkin. People who use drugs that have been designated by the state as illegal do not, as a group, get much respect. The stigma is intense, from the blatant dehumanization from more reactionary sources with the accompanying impulse to judge and punish, to the more liberal tendency to patronize and medicalize and frame drug users as at best passive recipients of services, objectified problems, and people whom you'd really do better to avoid. This is particularly true when it is compounded by other sorts of dehumanization and stigma, be that connected to experiences of poverty or racialization or sex work or what have you. Lampkin is the current president of the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, or VANDU. VANDU is a grassroots democratic membership organization of current and former users of illicit drugs. It organizes around issues of harm reduction, that is, practices of meeting people where they're at in terms of addiction and working with them to reduce negative health outcomes, and of social justice. The group is premised on a recognition of drug users as political agents who can and must mobilize together in collective struggles for better lives, better communities, and a better world. They've been active since the late 1990s in the downtown east side of Vancouver around issues like housing, poverty, and health care, as well as fighting for expanded harm reduction services and against stigma and criminalization. I spoke with Lampkin about the organization, about harm reduction, and about social justice. We spoke by Skype to phone from Vancouver. My name is Hugh Lampkin, and I'm the current president of VANDU. VANDU is an acronym that stands for Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users. Our goal is past and present drug users. We get together for education, harm reduction, and social justice, and reform of drug laws. I've been with the organization about 70 years, somewhere around there. VANDU has been around for about 17 years. They were incorporated in 1997. VANDU came around here in the downtown east side in the 90s. It was, it was pretty bad. It was bad to the point where the public health officer issued a state of emergency because of the situation down here. And I believe at that time it was the only time that sort of thing had been done. One of the reasons was the amount of drug overdoses the state that people were living in down here. It was just that bad. You know, you would find people in back stairwell, in laneways, in garbage dumpsters, in doorways of stores. It, it was just horrendous. And there was a lot of, a lot of stigma on drug users. You know, even if they weren't part of that 1% of the people you see who are, you know, extremely bad or very, very marginalized. You know, we went to the hospitals. You had no help from the hospitals. There was a lot of debts from people who would go to the hospital. Nothing was done. They would send them home, and they would die later that night or within like a couple of days. 
The only reason that was because they were drug users or they lived in the downtown east side. So right away, doctors, their outlook towards them was, you know, you're just looking for drugs or it's in your head and, you know, you don't really know what's going on. You're just a drug user. Basically, you're not worth my time, so just beat it. That's how I perceived the way that people were treated. It's gotten better, not that much better. So getting into the formation of Vandu, there was a few people who got together, one of them being Anne Livingston, Bud Osborne, and a few other people who got together and wanted to do some change, wanted to make change because what they saw was just horrendous and they wanted to make a change and help people and advocate for a lot of the marginalized people. So in the beginning, they met one Saturday a month in Oppenheimer Park, and then we got a build-in. It was then, I think, another one Saturday a month. Then it went to, I believe, once a week. It just kept growing. We had more members coming in. There was a lot of pressure put on to the organization by the police and the city council. Their outlook on things was you guys are just promoting the use of drugs and not looking at it as a health problem, a social problem, and a personal problem. I just want to take a second. Drug use isn't a problem. Drugs is a symptom of a problem. Their problem is poverty, homelessness, colonialism. People who are just, nobody wants to deal with them, just throw them away. I want to tell you about Vandu a little bit and the structure of Vandu. So Vandu membership is made up of past and present users of illicit drugs. We don't count marijuana as an illicit drug. Anything outside them as marijuana is illicit drugs. The reason being, you could be a pot smoker and never had any negative sort of thing. People who are coke users, crack, severe alcoholics. Out in society, there's people are treated a lot worse. I'm going to explain how we're set up. We're quite democratic. So Vandu, is, it's a peer-ran organization, which means we have an AGM, an annual general meeting, once a year. It's an election. People run to go on the board of directors. They're elected. So if you're a member, if you meet the criteria of a member, which is a past or present drug user, basically that's your criteria for being a voting member. Sometimes we have other members, but they don't have the, the power to vote. So people vote, majority wins. So if you have the most votes, then you would get on the board. Once you're on the board, we have another election on the board, but a lot of people want that change. So among the people on the board, we have another election for the executive board, which is the president, vice president, secretary, treasurer, and the MLA. Any board member could come to a board meeting. If they want to speak, they have to come prior to the meeting starting and get their name put on the agenda. Our books, because we're publicly funded, any member could come in and ask to see the books and be explained to them where the money is going. At our AGM, we also produce our financials. We also get an auditor who comes in and he goes over our books and certify that everything is on the up and up. So tell me how you first got involved with Vandu. One of my reasons why I was addicted was because of childhood trauma, sexual abuse. A lot of that stuff that was forced onto me at a very early age, I was abducted, sexually abused at seven. I was basically drowned at eight by a family member. I'm a person of color, so growing up in the late 60s, early 70s, I had to fight from my home to school and back again in the schoolyards at recess time. And I'm not using a race card. This is my life. This is what happened to me. I'm not embellishing it or, or lying. This is what I had to deal with. You know, and a lot of other things I, I'm not going to really get into, but just to give you an idea of what I had to deal with. So my trust had went down. I didn't really trust anybody, including my family. 
there was a thing of fear and, you know, just a lot of stuff. And when I started using, I just, I felt, you could say, normal. And I just kept on using and then I became addicted. When I was using or when I was high, I felt normal. I was able to, like, talk to people. I was able to cope with life a lot better than I wouldn't without it. So that was just a symptom of my deeper problem. It didn't really start to get more manageable, be able to work with until I started looking at myself and those problems because I never wanted to look at them. I was content to die without sharing that or without letting anybody know about that. And it wasn't until I got involved with Van Du that I found a strength or I was given that opportunity where I could talk about those things. So around seven, eight years ago, you know, I... I to tell you the truth, I came out here because I had reached a point in my life where I, I was just had enough and it was time to go. So I came out to BC to get as far away from my family and my friends because what I planned to do, yeah, it might have been selfish, but I wasn't doing it for pity or anything like that. I truly had had enough and I just wanted out. So I came out here to have my last big hurrah and check out. And um, I was just walking down the street one day on Hastings and then I was walking past and I seen a bunch of people hanging out. You know, they look like my sort of people that <laughs> I was accustomed to. And I just started asking questions. I came in and there was a girl working at the front desk. So I asked her what it was about. And she said, well, we're Van Du, you know, Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users. And my next comment was kind of facetious, but I said, oh, so what do you guys do? Bring some dope and we sit around and shoot the crap and talk about dope. <laughs> she says, no. And then she explained to me what we did and stuff like that. And I said, oh, really? I mean, before I came here, I was involved in other sort of movements, you know, students. I had done a lot of volunteering on working for streets and stuff like that. And I had liked to work with the youth. I had been an assistant sports director in the community center. I had that sort of background, so it really interested me. And that's basically how I got involved in Randu. I came to a meeting, and I was really impressed with what was being talked about and the people and how they were talking and being involved. and. I thought that was really good, and I just kept coming back and kept doing it over and over again, and before I knew it, my thoughts of my last big hurrah had vanished. I was standing up in front of a group of people talking about something I can't really remember, but I caught myself, and I was telling them about my childhood experience, what happened to me in my life, and I wanted to stop because I was afraid of what was going to happen. That always terrified me, and for some reason, I just kept on going. I just kept on talking. At the end of it, I was looking at people in the audience and they were shaking their head, nodding up and down. There was a few people with tears. A couple of times people would go, yeah, I know what that's like. And that just kept me talking and going. I just thought that was really great. Afterwards, people were hugging me, shaking my hands. And I never had that kind of support or understanding or empathy ever in my life. And I'm not a crier by any means, but it, it moved me to the point that I, I had a tear in my eyes. You know, I tell people when I'm here, I go, you know, I really do love this place and the people here, and I could never give back what this place has given to me. So give me a sense of some of the key things that Vandu, as an organization, either has done over the years or currently is working on. I would have to say that Vandu has been very instrumental in the move for harm reduction here in the downtown east side and in the province as a whole. There was a big thing before Vandu really got involved, one-for-one -one exchange. So if somebody came to a needle exchange or to the nurse, you had to bring back your dirty rigs, and they would give you clean rigs. Vandu, when they came along, had broken that. They would just give people rigs. 
no matter how much they need, and we didn't worry about giving a dirty one. I mean, harm reduction is about stopping the spread of diseases and giving people what they need and support and just being there when they're ready to stop and not stand there and preach to them and tell them, this is what you need to be alive. You know, you're never going to be anything good until you stop using drugs. That's not harm reduction. That's harm. You're doing more harm than you're doing that. And Bandu isn't about that. So after a while, it became the norm about giving the needles. Now you can go into any place. You don't have to give a needle. People give you needles. I believe that Vandu was instrumental or the force that started that. Um, we went to Victoria and spoken, worked with people in the hospital, doctors in the hospital, to stop some of that stigma and discrimination. At one point, we had hospital visits. People from Vandu had worked with doctors and nurses at St. Paul's to talk about drug users and addiction and all that so they could see it from a different perspective. We had done the pedestrian safety project here in the downtown east side. We went to City Hall and talked a lot about the number of pedestrian strikes here in the downtown east side. You know, it still goes on a little bit, but it's a lot better. Then we have our groups. So we have different groups during the days here. We have a illicit drinkers group. We used to have a rock smokers and a meth group, but we lost some funding. And well, like everybody else, we have to tighten our belts and drop some programming, which we're not really happy about. But Monday, the illicit drinkers group, we have a Tuesday education group. When I had mentioned before about the pedestrian project, that idea came from the Tuesday group. So our Tuesday group is we ask people if we don't have anything to really talk about, what's happening in your lives? What do you see happening in the community? What's going on? And at that point, somebody says, well, you know, I get a ticket because I just stepped on the sidewalk. And this cop is just riding me, gave me a ticket. I got another one because I was in the middle and the light turned yellow and the cop gave me a ticket and then somebody else stood up. By the end of the meeting, we had half the people or about 40% of the people who had got, gotten tickets for jaywalking under those sort of things that I had mentioned just now. So we thought, you know, there's something here. So we just started developing. We had a call out for people who had jaywalking tickets and we had a meeting. We had about 70 or 80 people. So from there, we just went with it. We went to City Hall. We started doing some research and started finding out. And we've done other things. We used to have a women's group. Um, we don't have that anymore. We have a BCA POM, which is the British Columbia People on Methadone. It's the methadone group. People who are methadone meet in this group, and they discuss what's happening with methadone. It's a way of networking, different doctors. We've also done, um, I don't know if you remember hearing about this guy, Wolseley. So he had a building, and he had people renting, and if you were getting methadone, you had to go to the pharmacy in his building, and if you didn't, he would kick you out. So we had done a whole bunch of stuff around that. It worked out a little bit. We have a WARS, which is the Western Aboriginal Harm Reduction Society. I believe it's the only Aboriginal harm reduction group in the world. They've been going for about 10 years now. Of course, the Aboriginal people have a lot more to deal with than, say, a white or black person. You know, they have colonialism, all the stigma, being an Aboriginal person. So they have a group dealing with their issues and themselves, and they get support from everybody else. Actually, Aboriginal makes up about 60% of our membership. So we're quite involved in those issues also, too. Issues with mobility, like disability, stuff like that. We did some work around the volunteer. 
um, here in the downtown east side, we're at welfare. If you volunteer, you would get an extra $100 a month so you could buy bus tickets and food and clothes and stuff like that. And there was a real issue around that. So we helped a lot of people fill out the applications. So we went there, and a lot of people started filling out their forms. So after we did that, welfare turned around and got rid of that program. And I mean, like, you've had this program all the time. People are doing what you ask them to do. It's quite on the up and up. Nobody's getting away. People are volunteering doing that. And now you took it away because a bunch of people got together, stood up because you were cheating them out of it, and now you took away the program. And this is the, the welfare people doing that. That's brutal. That extra hundred bucks a month is the difference between life and death for a lot of people. And I'm not embellishing when I say that. That is a big difference for a lot of people. So we, we have a lot of gains, but then, you know, you take a two-step forward and then there's a step backwards. But that's something that we've come to understand and to live with, and it doesn't derail us. We'll just keep going. The other thing that we're working on that it's continuous is the welfare rates. Welfare rates here in B.C. hasn't gone up in, like, 20 years. Single male on welfare gets 620. The average rent for a room is anywhere from, like, say, 450 to $600 doesn't leave you much afterwards. You know, people think that people on welfare get their money and they go spend it all on dope. I'm sorry. How much drugs can you buy for $100 or $50? You know what I mean? It's a totally absurd. People don't know what they're talking about. People, they think themselves superior to the people down here. They think that any money that people get, it's all going to go on drugs. Well, you know, on the other hand, if you don't have anything to look forward to, there's no prospects. You live on the streets or you live in an SRO. The other big thing about down here is if you go anywhere else and a person find out that you live in the downtown east side, they don't want to rent to you, they don't want to give you a job. I mean, you have all that to look at. The police are always on your case. People go, well, you shouldn't be doing this and that and the other. Well, you don't know. Right? Just walking down the street or in the laneway at night doesn't give anybody the reason to accost you and start harassing you. All these sort of things that people have to live with. If you're infected with any kind of disease or whatever and I mean, you know, just these things. What else did somebody have to look forward to? You know, it's easy for somebody who has a house or a job or whatever to say, well, just buck it up. I can do that. I think they're full of shit personally because if they're in the same position as people down here, they would be doing the same thing. They could say whatever they want to make themselves seem superior to the people down here, but you're not. We're all the same and we all have our breaking points. We do a lot about housing. That's our basic thing, housing and access to health care. We're quite active in housing issues. We just had a march done two weekends ago, citywide housing march, to bring more to the light of housing and the lack of social housing. You have hotels down here, SROs, but that is not housing. To me, the definition of housing is self-contained, where you have your own house, and I'm talking like house, house, like it could be a bachelor apartment or you know, something where you have your own kitchen, your own washroom, you don't have to share all that stuff with another hundred people. I mean, these SROs, like the region and some of these places, you go in there, you blow on somebody's door, it falls down. These things are falling apart. One washroom per floor, like a room for the washroom, maybe two or three toilets. If you're lucky in some hotels, you might have another two or three urinals. Now, if that washroom, something happens to the washroom and it goes down, that means everybody on that floor now has to go to another floor and use that washroom. I mean, that really isn't a way for people to live. You have a lot of violence in some of these places. They're basically some places like slumlords who run these places. 
They have these other type of housing called supportive housing. Most of these supportive housing, I've heard this from people, they say, you know what, I'd rather be in jail because at least in jail I have more freedom than I do where I live in your supportive housing. You know, you can't have any guests. If your guests come, they have to have government issue ID. People need a little bit more independent. You don't have to hold a person's hand and treat them like a child. They could come into your apartment whenever they want. You know, these sort of things, you know, that's not empowering to people. That's more like impressing a person. But people put up with it because they don't want to live on the street. And I understand the organization was pretty key in the, the victory that won Insight, the first safe injection site? Van Du was the reason that Insight came around. But Osborne, who's one of the founders, and was his brainchild. Van Du and our membership had started doing that, and we had partnered up with uh, Portland Housing Society, uh, PHS, and we got Insight, and it's been there ever since. Since then, we've gone back to court many a time for different things. Right now, we're working, trying to get more. With the conservative government, <laughs> we'll keep fighting, but I think that hopefully another government will come in and see the benefits into having something like that and expand on it. We're still doing a lot of stuff around harm reduction. Right now, the big thing for us, the naloxone, take-home naloxone kit, Fandu has been pretty well instrumental in working with the British Columbia Center for Disease Control, the CDC in Vancouver Coastal Health. They have, I believe, 60 or 51 sites that they're doing the training and people could take home naloxone kit. Naloxone or Narcan is an opiate antagonist, which means it's an opiate blocker. So when somebody's overdosing on opiates, any kind of opiates and opiates alone, and they're given a shot of Naloxone is the pharmaceutical name here in Canada. It's licensed as a Narcan. So they're given a Narcan. What that does is it blocks the opiates from the receptors on the brain and brings a person out of the overdose. So we're quite instrumental in that. The other thing is assisted injections. And again, people go, well, you know, you're telling people it's okay. Well, you know what? Seriously, you cannot just walk up to a person and tell them stop using drugs because that's not going to work. It's about meeting the needs of their life and getting a person to a point in their life where they can slow down, and after they're slowing down, they'll stop. There's been many research and programs done in Europe where they've done that sort of thing, and the outcome has been within two to five years, I think it's been about 80 or 75% of the participants in these programs have now gone abstinence. That's great. Well, you know, so you can, the person is still using, but within two to five years, they're abstinent. I think that's really good. That's really promising, and I, I don't understand why we're not moving towards some of these type of programmings. Now, when I say we, we as society as a whole, here at Vandu, we had a, some funding to do. It was called the IST team, the injection support team. What that consisted of was two people would go out into the community with harm reduction supplies. Everybody was trained trained in first aid CPR and they had a phone and we would go around to the hard to reach places where people from the community can go and look for people who needed to get help. The reason being that we were finding that especially women were more at risk once they scored drugs for violence and sexual assault. So they would go and score some dope and they can't hit themselves so they would ask somebody to hit them. Now somebody would come along, they would want to get paid so they would either take their money, rob them, switch their needles, and switch their drugs. Sometimes people were being infected by HIV and Hep C during this way. 
cases of sexual assault, physical assault, robbery, and we were finding it was getting quite pervasive. So that was the reasoning behind that program. And we ran out of money and it has stopped, but we really are looking for other ways to start that back up again. Now, in Insight, even though it's not a nurse, for a boat in there, I can't ask you to hit me if I can't hit myself. They won't allow that in there. So those people don't go to Insight because it's not for them and they don't get the help that they need. People are still going out in laneways and asking people to help them. We're seeing what we can do around assisted injections. Everybody keeps talking about the legal matter behind it, and I think that's just a cop-out. We're talking about people's lives and their well-being. The whole thing about harm reduction for me is a triage. You know, in the military, if you're in action and you get wounded, you go to a mass unit or to the hospital or whatever, they have a triage unit, and they prioritize. The ones that are severely injured, they would go in, but then what they do is they prioritize, and then they stabilize because not everybody could go in. And that's the way I try to equate harm reduction. You prioritize, you stabilize, and then you move on from there. And I think it's a good way to approach harm reduction. Draw together for me why you think it's important to have an organization that's political in the way that Van Du is, that pushes for harm reduction, that pushes for social justice, as opposed to a purely service kind of thing, which is what you'd be able to find in most cities. I think why it's important, one of the main reasons that you want to empower people. Being a service provider, people don't, they're not empowered. They don't have the opportunity to see how our system is run. They don't have an opportunity to get involved. They don't have the opportunity to learn and to move on from there. Places like Van Du, because it's a peer-run organization, when you're in the board of directors, you have to do a little research, know about legalities, about running the society. Now you're legally responsible for this society. So it puts on you the onus of responsibility. Sometimes being involved with Vandu is the first sense of independence or being given something where they are empowered. You get to get involved with politics and politicians, going to city hall, you know, talking to the media. Things where they actually get to shine, they get to be involved and develop programs or talk to people about developing programs. And I've seen a lot of lives change, including my own, to feel more empowered and regain my empowerment and to help people and to move on. I, I think the idea of the Van Du is great because also that political sense, people need to have a political sense to see where they stand in that society. And if they don't believe or they think that they're being looked down upon, then it gives them that arena where they can go back in and fight for themselves and other people for them. You have been listening to my interview with Hugh Lampkin, the president of the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, or VANDU. To learn more about their work, go to vandu.org. That's V-A-N-D-U dot org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.